0: Welcome to the Converge Community Church podcast, where we provide for you the previous Sunday morning sermon. And now, without further ado, may the Holy Spirit minister to your heart as you hear the preaching of God's Word. We are continuing on in our series in the book of Matthew, and we're going to be looking at chapter 18, verses... 15 through 35, I encourage you, if you have your Bibles, turn to your Bibles. Even if you, if you have them on your phones, you can turn there as well. We'll be jumping to various scriptures along the way to help us understand what, we'll, what we're reading this morning. There's also, in, on your worship guide, if you turn it to the back, there's some space there if you want to jot down some Bible references and uh, cross-references or want to jot down some notes. Uh, feel free to do that as well. We want to be students of the word. We want to to be good listeners to the word of God. So those are just some ways that can be helpful. So let me give you just a little review, a little bit of context before we jump into our passage. So as Jesus continues to show how he must suffer and die and three days later rise again, While he is doing this, the disciples, they ask him a question about who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And this question will set into motion what we call the fourth discourse that we find in Matthew's gospel. So uh, if you kind of take a step back, look at the full book of Matthew, you can divide it up into five different discourses. If you remember back chapters five through seven is the Sermon on the Mount, It's a long sermon, three chapters long, and then later there's another discourse with uh, Jesus and his disciples, and this is him uh, commissioning them to go out and to preach and to minister like he ministers, so he gives a lot of information to them. The third discourse is the parables in chapter 13, and so he uh, talks about what the kingdom of heaven is like, and he uses all these different parables to describe the kingdom of heaven, and so now we're in the fourth discourse, and the fourth discourse actually starts with the disciples asking the question, who's the greatest, or uh, what, is, what does it mean to be great in the kingdom of heaven, and Jesus pours, pours this out. He starts giving a message to the disciples about this, and basically, it's that you are to be childlike. You're supposed to have humility like a child, one of these little ones. And it's basically this idea of utter dependence, right? That's what a child, utter dependence on their parents. Uh, When there is a need, they go running to their parents for that need. And in the same way, we are to have that kind of humility, And then Jesus goes on to address the dangers in leading one of these little ones into sin. And then Jesus expresses how uh, he directs now to the little ones and says, if you find yourself in sin. So first he he talks about those who tempt the little ones in sinning. There's judgment. Then he goes to, if you find yourself as a child, in sin, you are to cut it out, right? If your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out. If your foot, your hand, cut it off. For it is better for you to enter into the kingdom lame or blind than, than to go into hell. And so there's a seriousness here of cutting out sin. And then also it then changes to uh, Jesus or the... Jesus describing how the father expresses compassion with the parable of the 99. He goes, the one that's being led or that's astray, he goes after. He he leaves the 99, goes after the one who's astray. Why? Because he doesn't want to see even a single one of his children perish. So that's the context in which we find ourselves in at looking at chapter 18. So Jesus is in the middle of this discourse with his disciples. And now Jesus is going to provide guidance on how to pursue our fellow brothers and sisters who might find themselves separated from the, soul, from the fold because of sin. Right. So this is still kind of that image of the 99 and one is led astray or is, is going off astray and it's because of sin. The father, he has compassion. He wants to pursue them. And now we're seeing that the father or Jesus is telling us we we need to pursue as well. And this is how we are to pursue. So here's the main idea of our passage. We are to pursue our brother and sister by confronting. So the main idea is confront your brother who's in sin and forgive your brother who sins against you. That's the main idea. Confront your brother who's in sin and forgive your brother who sins against you. And with that, let's stand together. We're going to read this passage. I'll read it out loud. You can follow along, but just in honor of the word, if you can stand, please stand with me. This is Matthew chapter 18, verses 15 through 35. It says, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he doesn't listen, take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell, tell it to the church. Am I among them? There am I among them. Then Peter came up and said to them, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but seventy seven times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring, imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when that same servant went out, Then his master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you. We pray, Lord, that you would help us to understand this passage, that we would take it seriously, Lord. Um, Father, there is a challenge here, and, and in some ways, this passage may make us feel uncomfortable, especially when it comes to this call to forgive others. And so, Father, I pray that the Spirit would be among us and that we would have ears to hear what you have. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. All right, so I I basically broke this section down into two. Uh, It's it's two areas of instruction that Jesus is giving. Uh, This first section is is a continuation with this conversation with His disciples. And if you remember how this kind of plays out, uh, Jesus is giving some strong warning about sin. And he first starts out with those whoever sin or tempts, whoever tempts these little ones to sin. It's like, it would be better for them to have a milestone around their neck and be dumped into the ocean. Like this is... This is pretty serious stuff here. It's better for them that that happens to them than what's going to happen to them because they tempted these little ones. Then he talks about the world. Woe to the world that tempts these little ones to sin. So there's some seriousness here even to tempt others or to tempt little children with sin. And then Jesus transitions to the little children and say, if you sin, make sure you go to some extremes here. Take sin seriously. Cut it out of your life at all cost because it would be better for you to cut it out and and to be lame or blind than to go to eternal damnation. And now, uh, then he goes to that parable, right? Of the one that's going astray and that the father wants to pursue that one. Why does he want to pursue the leave the 99 and pursue the one because he doesn't want to see that one perish. And now he's transitioning then to how we are to treat the one that may be astray, one who has fallen into sin. And so, and it's basically this, it's uh, the instruction is confronting a brother caught in sin. So this is verses through, Uh, verses 15 through 17 that we're going to look at. And basically, these are steps in confrontation. So I'm just going to share the list with you. First, it starts with, if you're sinned against, to go to your brother or sister and, and talk to them about it, confront them. And it's just supposed to be you and them. You're to do it alone, make it private, and go to them. And if they don't repent, then you're to go with witnesses who see the same thing. And then if they don't repent, you go to the whole church. So the hope in all this, if you read through that text, the hope is for them to listen. For them to listen. And when they, when I mean, listen, not just with cognitively with their ears, but listening in, in the sense of taking what you're saying to heart. To, re- to really listen and accepting what you're saying. So the hope is to listen, which means that there would be some type of response like repentance, uh, some type of returning back to the fold in some way, making that relationship right. If, if they repent, then you have gained your brother. And that's what Jesus is talking about here. Again, the examples like the, lost sheep because it is God's heart that none of his sheep would go astray. Therefore, it should be our heart as well. We should have the same kind of heart like our father has when he sees one go astray that, that he pursues, we are to pursue as well. And the reason for this is because it could mean eternal hell fire for your brother or sister. That's what he's describing in verses 8 through 9. It's it's about uh, eternal eternal fire or hellfire if someone's caught in sin and there's no repentance. So this is a very serious thing that Jesus is talking about. Eternity is at stake. That's what we have to remember when it when when it, when it When we're dealing with sin, with our own sin or someone else's sin, the first thing that should come to mind is eternity is at stake. Which means then it it gives us an idea or it instructs us in how we approach our brother and sister in sin. Because a lot of times the, the danger is or the temptation is, is to make it about us. When we're sinned against, we tend to make it about us, but it's not. It's a broader brother or sister who's in sin. So how do we then approach our brother and sister? Well, Paul gives us some instruction in how we do this in Galatians chapter six, verse one says, brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. So gentleness needs to be the heart behind confronting, but that doesn't exclude us from having a sense of urgency or desperation or exhortation or pleading. So we want, to, we want to go gently, but we also want to come with a kind of seriousness because we know what's at stake. So this should be, when it comes to confronting sin, it should be sincere, And sobering should be sincere and sobering. It's also good to remember that the purpose for confronting is not to condemn, but to restore. It's for the good of the one you are confronting. So, I think a a great example of this we just uh, concluded a marriage retreat this past weekend, which was great. Um, It was here on uh, Friday and Saturday. And those who were here, you, we went through a lot of different um, exercises uh, to just talk about our marriage, um, and that, that was very helpful. There's, there's one aspect, though, that, uh, that I think is helpful for us to, to think through when it comes to um, our husbands and wives. So we, we often think of our husband, just our, our spouse as our husband or our wife, but I think it's important to also see them as our brother or sister in Christ. So, right, we we take things personally when we're sinned against, especially when it comes to our spouse sinning against us. And so what does that mean when we confront, if we confront? There's various ways that we react to sin when we are sinned against, especially with our spouse. Sometimes it may be confronting but usually when we confront, it's more about ourselves and how we were wronged. But if we see our spouse as either our brother or sister, it, it kind of changes our perspective. So um, husbands, we, we need to see our wives as sisters in the Lord. And we want to see them run the race of faith. We, we want them to run it well. We don't want them to get entangled in sin because of what's at stake. If we love our spouse in that way, then that's how we should approach their sin. Of course, wives, your husbands, they're brothers in the Lord. And Jesus calls them to cut out sin in their lives that that might result because if, if they don't, it results in the eternal fire. Therefore, confronting each other Must come out of this motivation of saving your brother or sister. That's the motivation behind it. Now, when we do confront, and if they don't listen, verse 16 tells us to bring a few others for a second round of confronting. And so the hope in all of this is that they would listen. So Matthew 18, verse 16 says, But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. Now, this may sound a little bit formal, doesn't it? It's almost like they're being put on trial. You have witnesses that come up. Um, but I, and it can also kind of look like maybe an intervention, like that's been kind of popular, especially when, when somebody's um, addicted to drugs or Um, addicted to various things. Um, So there's this formal thing where a whole group of people come and they're trying to gently restore. But it's this idea of bringing others along with you that see the same thing that are able to speak to your brother or your sister. Um, The illustration that I think of, the first one that comes to mind is, I don't know if you guys like watch uh, football. This commercial comes up usually during football games but it's the one where there's two people and they're in a disagreement with each other and they're arguing over something and then finally somebody takes the red flag have you ever seen that commercial so like in football if uh, you're contesting a foul or a flag you can throw a rug f- a red flag and then the referees they go to the video and watch and then they determine if it was really a penalty or not and in the same way, this commercial, it's these two people have this conflict, and so they throw a flag, and out of nowhere, here comes this video, right? And what are they doing there? They're, they're establishing, did this really happen or not? And usually, like, the, they're both watching, and one of them just, like, drops their head. Like, oh, they were right. They were, the evidence shows that I was wrong, and they were right. Well, back then, they didn't have video. They didn't have a red flag. But this is the same way in the sense of what's happening is, hey, they're not repenting. They don't see their own sin. And so you need to bring two or three others that go, you know what? We see it too. We see it too. So here are some reflection questions when it comes to this confronting and, and this is pretty challenging for us. So the first question is this, how would, you res- how would you respond if you found yourself on the other end of something like this? Think about it. If, if you were confronted, if someone came up to you and confronted you, and then maybe you don't respond well, and then all of a sudden other people come up to you. And I think this is why this call for humility is so important. Right, this is what Jesus was talking about previously. Those who are the greatest in heaven are like children who are humble, right? There's there's a humility there. And this is this is what we're called to as well. So that's one question. If we were on the en- other end of this, how would how would we respond? Also, here's another one. Are we humble enough to confront one another in a way that is for their good? And are we humble enough to receive correction when it's given, right? So are we humble enough to, to give correction in a gentle way, in a way that sees the other person as our brother or sister in Christ? And also are we able to receive correction, Here's another third question. Are we humble enough to be okay when the confrontation isn't carried out perfectly? Right? So we look at this, oh, so you're supposed to go alone and then you're supposed to grab two or three and then supposed to take it to the church. Like there's there's a way that this is outlined for us and and it's supposed to be done with gentleness. So then when somebody comes with correction, if it's, this is what I tend to do. This, this is what hits home for me. I'll just, I'm not going to give you a specific example, but this tends to happen when, when I've sinned against Kara in some way, and she brings it up. My, my first thought isn't to consider what she says. My, my first thought is to defend in some way or to dodge, right? And some ways, that I like to dodge is wow, you didn't bring that up very nicely. Right? Like, so so I have this expectation of how this confrontation is supposed to bring be brought up. And I and I paint it in a way, I have these this this framework or these guidelines in such a way that if she is off by any word she says, she's the one that's given enough, you know, that i now I'm offended. She's the one that sinned. She's the one that made a mistake. You see, it's, have you guys ever done that before? Where somebody brings up, a oh, that was harsh. That wasn't very nice. So that's, that's one of the ways that we tend to dodge, right? We turn it back. It's like, how did I get, <laughs> how did I get in this situation? I just wanted to bring this up. So there's various ways. Here's, these questions. What these questions uh, hopefully do is help us reflect on what's really going in our going on in our hearts when we have to face confrontation, whether we're the ones giving confrontation, confronting our brother or sister, or if we're on the receiving end of that. So, what motivates us to confront? Is it because we have been wronged, and they need to change? because it's driving me up the wall? Or is it, hey, this is my brother and sister in the Lord. And this is more about me, not not necessarily about me, but this is more about their relationship with the Lord and where this could head. And I care for them. And so I want to see them repent and make things right with the Lord and with who, you know the broken relationship. All right. And then the other one is, How do I receive it as well? Do I tend to dodge or defend? Or is there humility there where I'm willing to accept it? Because my brother and sister are caring, trying to care for my soul. All right. Here's the other thing. Um, Do you know that the word humility and humiliation come from the same Latin word? Humility and humiliation. Now, humiliation is not a good thing, right? To, to be humiliated, to be disrespected in such a way. So, so I want to make a distinction here between humility and humiliation. But here's, I think, one of the other temptations. Is when we are confronted, that we can feel humiliated. That we can feel humiliated. That's the difference between someone actually humiliating you, right? The feeling of humiliation, because they may not be, that's not their intent, and that's not the way they spoke, even though you can feel that way. And so that's another thing that we need to think through. You know what? Um, Sometimes humility means that I need to accept this feeling of humiliation, it may feel that way, and, but instead of responding in the wrong way and being defensive, I need to humble myself. All right, so if they still don't listen, so you go to them alone, you go to them with two or three witnesses, and it says if they still do not listen when con- confronted by the two or three witnesses, then it's time to go to the church, and this is what we call church discipline. Okay, and we, we, uh, we practice this as a church. Uh, if you go through our members class, we, we talk about it there. Uh, and this is basically about bringing sin into the light. You're letting the whole church know. And again, this could feel humiliating, but this is not done out of disrespect for the person, but out of a longing to see restoration. Remember, remember, This is serious. Eternity is at stake. And so this this can be very difficult for someone to go through who's not repentant. But it's important that we go through this process because eternity is at stake. Matthew 18, verse 17 says, If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. So what in the world does that mean? There's various ways to look at this. There are some people who argue that because Matthew, the tax collector is the one that's writing this, right? He's he's the one that's sharing this. How did Jesus engage with Gentiles and tax collectors? He moved in. He, He ate with them right? He invited them in. And so it's kind of like, hey, treat them with compassion, invite them in. That could be one way of looking at this passage. However, I believe Jesus is communicating those something a little bit different or quite a bit different. Um, and I think a better way of saying it is like this. This is, I'm going to, Um, I'm going to say it like I think Jesus means it. And then I'm going to try to argue for this. Okay. So I think what he's trying to say is this, treat them as you would treat a Gentile and tax collector. Okay. So he's speaking to Gentile or he's speaking to Jews. And in that culture, in that time, how did Jews treat Gentiles and tax collectors? They cut them off. They separated themselves. They said, we do not eat. We do not associate with Gentiles and tax collectors. They are sinners and we need to be separated from them. And I think what Jesus is saying is, is after pursuing in these various ways, there is a time that's appropriate after all these steps have taken, that there is this proclamation that they're cut off. Okay. So, Um, other passages talk about this. Um, let me try to find one. Here it is. This is Paul. Paul brings this up in first Corinthians chapter five, verses nine through 13. He says, I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. So he wrote previously and he said, don't associate with sexually immoral people. Then he says, verse 10, not at all meaning the sexual immoral of this world, or the greedy, or the swindlers, or the idolaters, since then you would need to go out of the world. So you say, I'm not talking about those who are of the world. But, and this is who he's talking about, but now I am writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother if he is guilty of sexual immorality or greed, or is an idolater, reveler, drunkard, or swindler, not even to eat with such a one. For what have I to do with judging outsiders? This is not those inside the church whom you are to judge. God judges those outside. Purge the evil person from among you. And so I think that's what Jesus is referring to when he's talking about treating them as Gentiles, and tax collectors, they are now considered outside of the family of God. And I think this becomes various, very serious. And, and here's the reason why, because now he's going to transition. Jesus is going to transition after this, uh, treat them as a Gentile or tax collector, cutting them off, or in a sense, proclaiming that they're cut off that they're not a child of God. Now Jesus in our text goes to a pretty serious, uh, I would say, uh, he's, he's talking about here um, where he says, truly, I say to you, whatever is um, you bind on earth will be bound, in, or whatever you bind on, in heaven will be bound on earth. Whatever you loose in heaven will be loosed on earth and where two or more are gathered there, am I? So there's this whole section that he talks about right after this. And what I think he's talking about there is the authority that Jesus has given to the church. And we see this, uh, this binding and loosening, we see it earlier on in chapter 16, when after Peter gives his confession that Jesus is the Christ, Jesus blesses him and he says, um, therefore, on this rock, I will build my church. So he's talking about Peter, but I think he's talking about the whole church also when he says, and whatever you loose on in heaven will be loosed on earth. Whatever you bind in heaven will be bound on earth. So there's this authority that Jesus is giving to his people, to the church. And I think it's pertaining to here in our text, it's pertaining to, uh, discipline. And, and, um, so let me give you an example of what this looks like, because we, we talk about this in the positive, uh, when we do baptisms. So when somebody comes to be baptized, uh, to be baptized, the first thing that happens is they come up and they give a testimony. They give a proclamation of their faith in Jesus Christ. They, they talk about, uh, their understanding of the gospel and their faith in that go- in the gospel. And they're proclaiming it to the congregation who are witnesses. You are witnesses of this proclamation. And when we go and, um, baptize them, when we gather together as the church and witness this baptism, we are giving an affirmation. We're saying, yes, What? You are one of us. You are one of the fold. You have been saved by grace. So there's an affirmation of your confession. In the same way, when we do membership, uh, we ask that you come up and give a testimony. You give your testimony, and then the members of the church actually vote you in. There's there's an I. There's There's an amen. And basically, in in um, in doing that, you are affirming their proclamation of Jesus in the gospel. So there is a way in which it's very powerful. I think that there is um, a loosening that takes place. There's an affirmation in. And that should strengthen our faith. The individual that's giving that proclamation and taking these steps, there is a congregation, a church behind them with, with a kind of authority that says, Yes, you're one of us. You are on the path of eternity, of the kingdom of heaven. So that's the positive. I would say that would be the loosening. On the other hand, there's also the binding which means this, when the church sees a brother or sister in sin and, and there's steps taken to try to bring them back in with repentance and there's no sign of repentance, but there's this continual progression or uh, travel on this path of sin. We need to also take seriously when the church says, you're not one of us. If you're part of a church, and, and I'm going to say member, if you're a member of a church and you fall into sin and go through discipline, you need to take it very seriously when the church says, you're not one of us. Whoa. That, that, should, that should make us pause and reflect on, wait a minute, am I, am I in the wrong here? Because it's not just one person that says I'm in the wrong it was three or two, and, and now it's a whole congregation. And, and Jesus says, where two or three are gathered, so am I. So it's kind of like, this, this might be from Jesus. I need to take this seriously. So that's, what, that's what's being communicated here from Jesus, um, when it con- and it's concerning sin. And, and when we take a step back, here's the message we should hear. Sin is serious. It's nothing to play around with. We need to take it seriously for ourselves, but also help our brothers and sisters in sin as well because of what's at stake. All right, let's let's transition now because now Peter asks another question. I love when Peter asks the question because you never know what's going to happen, right? And so this time Peter asks this question, Verse 21 and 22, Peter came up and said to them, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him as many as seven times. Now I like to pick on Peter. Uh, I can kind of see Peter being like kind of standing up straight and going, you know, look at me, look at how, how gracious and merciful I am seven times. So think through this for a minute. He just went through confronting your brother who sinned against you. So Peter's going, okay, so I confront my brother and he repents. But what if he sins again? Am I to forgive him again? And then, you know, maybe it goes through the process and he repents. But then he sins again. So it's like, what, what, what happens when that happens, right? So, so how many times should I forgive? I think seven. Seven's a pretty good number. And of course, Jesus says, "No, no, no, no." Seventy-seven times, which basically means limitless. That's what he's describing there, right? It is, it is double, it is triple, it's quadruple. You, no, no, no. It is, it is more than just seven times, right? And so, um, after. Describe or saying this, Jesus gives a parable. And this parable paints a wonderful picture of what Jesus is trying to say here. Because it's not just about the amount of times you forgive, okay? Pa- uh, Peter is talking about the amount of times. Jesus answers it, but he also expands on it. So I'm not going to read the parable, I'm going to share with you the parable, just tell you the story. The parable is of this king, and he wants to settle accounts, he brings all these servants in front of him, and there's this servant that owes, how many, how many uh, talents here? Uh, 10,000 talents. So in our money today, that's around $60 million. 60, this servant, I don't know where he spent it all, owes $60 million. And so he goes before them and he's like, um, this is what's going to happen. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to sell you into slavery. Um, this is until you owe, you know, pay what you owe. And he's like, would you, okay, before you do that, would you just, I ask for patience. Please be fit, patient with me and I'll pay it back. Now, how many of you would believe him? How, would you be, how many of you would believe that he would be able to pay back $60 million? So here's the, here's the interesting thing. Instead of saying, okay, I'll be patient with you. I'll give you a year. I'll give you two years. I'll give you five years. That, that would be very, very gracious and merciful. No, 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 no. He doesn't, he's not just patient with the servant he forgives the debt outright. $60 million, he says, psh, forgiven. Then, later, this servant goes to another servant, and which owe him, I think it was, what is a 100 denarii? Okay, which is, it's significantly less than talents. I think the math is one talent equals six thousand denarii. So one talent. So remember it was 10,000 talents that he owed. So one talent equals six thousand denarii. This guy owes just a hundred denarii, right? So it's not that much at all. And here comes a servant. He grabs him and it says that he actually is choking him. He puts his hands around this guy's neck saying, pay me what you owe me. Pay me what you owe me. So let me pause right there and say this. There is a comparison now that we can, a comparison and contrast of the king and the servant. Okay? So um, here's the one thing. We can compare the debts, right? Huge debt compared to little debt. Here's the other comparison. The servant goes to the king and asks for patience. This servant who's being choked by the other servant, he also asks for patience. They request the same thing, okay? The king doesn't give the servant what he asked for. He goes beyond that. He shows grace. On the contrary, the wicked servant doesn't give what the man asks for. He throws him into, he wants to throw him into prison, right? So it's, it's the direct opposite. It's not even, you know what, I'll give you some time. It's not just a little bit of mercy. No, no, no. It is, there is no mercy whatsoever. It's all judgment. Boom. I'm throwing you in jail for this. So there's some interesting things here. The, the irony in this parable is, is astounding. So Jesus' extreme contrast should be duly noted, and the message is clear: the debt we occurred, accrued, excuse me, the debt we accrued by sinning against God is so great that it's desi- it, uh, deserving of eternal damnation. Okay, so think about that. That's that's the kind of a debt that we that we have. If we have been forgiven this enormous debt, can we not forgive our brother or sister who has sinned? against us. So think about it. We have sinned in such a great way against God that is deserving of eternal damnation. That's the kind of huge debt we that we accrued. Can we forgive the debts that someone that that how we have been sinned against? There's a uh, Romans chapter one. I don't have all of this down on um, a slide, but I think, I think how uh, Paul describes this is very telling. And, and I kind of want to work through this and give uh, some perspective here in how Paul describes this. And I, I know I keep saying this, but I keep finding these connections almost as, as if Paul read the book of Matthew and knows the book of Matthew or knows the teachings of Jesus very well because he describes it uh, and, and a lot of times the very same things, but unpacks it even more and gives, um, explains it even more. So this is really interesting. In Romans chapter one, verse 29, Paul is talking about these people who have, that are sinners, okay? And he says, they were filled with all manner of unrighteousness and evil and covetousness and malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossip, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedience to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. I mean, he is just going off on those people. That's what these, those people are, are like. He's kind of pointing out there. They know, uh, verse 32 says, though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. So it's like they're doing it and they're giving approval for others to do these same things. And so as uh, a reader that's reading this, you know, you're kind of reading it and like, those people those people. You know, this world would be a lot better off if it wasn't for people, especially those people. That's what you're reading, right? And then all of a sudden, Paul says this, this is chapter two, verse one. Therefore you, me? Yeah. Oh man, every one of you who judges For in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself, because you, the judge, practice the very same things. Whoa, wait, what? Because you, the judge, practice the very same things. We know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. So he's saying, now wait, before you start pointing the finger out there and shaking your head and say, those people who commit all these kinds of sins, Paul turns it around and says, now look at yourself. So I listen to a lot of uh, like different podcasts and um, of uh, various things, but I, I remember listening to one, and and these these guys were talking. It's funny because it was a sports one. I'm in. I do like fantasy football kind of thing, and it's kind of competitive, and I want to beat my friends in fantasy football. And so I li- sometimes listen to podcasts about that. And these guys, uh, it was funny. They go off track and they start talking about how, um, you know, social media, and they're like, why do people say such terrible things? In social media, and they're saying such terrible things in social media. And how, why do people do that? Is it because they they're really that bad, or blah blah blah? And but I kept hearing those people, and then uh, later in the podcast, I hear them ripping on people <laughs> <laughs> and kind of like down, you know degrading people. And I was like, huh, that's really interesting. And and I think here's the thing: like we we so can easily think of those people, but we don't realize that we do the very same things. Why is that? All right. I think Paul's going to just going to reveal this to, to us in some way. So Romans chapter two, verse 30, verse three through five, this is up on a slide. Paul is continuing. He says, do you suppose, O man, you who judge those who practice such things and yet do them yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? No, you're, that's the judgment of God. This is sin is serious. Even for the little ones, the children of God, verse four, here it is. Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience? Be like, ah, don't worry about it. God will forgive. God will forgive me. Now those people, whew, judgment, nah, God is gracious. God is kind. He'll forgive me. Not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance, right? That's what we're talking about here. We confront one another so that they may come to repentance, People confront us in hopes that we may repent. But because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself in the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. Okay, so this man, this wicked servant, let's go back to our parable, is forgiven much. And then he goes off and starts choking his fellow servant. So the question is, is, are we sometimes that wicked servant? Now we might not physically turn around and start choking our fellow brother or sister, but are there times when you think about choking your fellow brother or sister? So remember, jump back to the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus says, you've heard it said, you shall not murder. But I say to you, if you are even angry at your brother, you've murdered. So it's just not about just the physical choking, but it's what's in the heart. I want to choke him. And basically, Jesus is saying here, you need to take that serious as well. You need to take that serious as well. Why? Again, because judgment is coming. So Matthew chapter eighteen verses thirty-one through thirty-five. Thirty-five. This is the end. The master he hears about this wicked servant and what he did to his fellow servant, it says then his master summoned him and said to him, "You wicked servant, I forgave you." all that debt because you pleaded with me and should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had had mercy on you. And in anger, his his master delivered him over to the jailers until he should pay all his debt, which how long is that going to be? So also my, and here's, here's where it, this is huge. Verse 35. So therefore listen to the parable. Here's the point so also my heavenly father will do to you or do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. I do not like how Jesus said this. I don't, I don't like verse 35. I would prefer it not to be there. Or Jesus, can you say it in a way that's a little bit more palatable, uh, a little nicer, like in the sense of, as the king has forgiven this man, so should you forgive others. Isn't that a nicer way of saying it? It's it's focusing on more of the positive than the negative. No, no, no. Jesus doesn't go that direction. And and personally, it's not comfortable. So, also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. This is a warning. This is a warning. If you're unable to forgive your brother or sister, you are in danger yourself. That's, that's not fun. That's not a good place to be. So it's, it's a hard saying. I am tempted to water it down. I am tempted to share with you. Throughout this week, I was thinking about this. I was like, boy, um, I was tempted to give circumstances that are exceptions. Jesus doesn't give any circumstances where there's exceptions. Not here. He doesn't give it. And so I think the the lesson here, and if you go back to chapter 16, chapter 17 and 18, that's talking about what it means to follow Jesus and the seriousness of sin and how we are to cut it out. And, and I think it comes down to this. Forgiveness is costly. Forgiveness is costly. It's dying to yourself in ways that can be very, very Painful. Think of it this way. Jesus was falsely arrested, beaten. He was crucified. As he's laying on that cross and they're driving nails into his wrist, unjustly, by the way, he did not deserve any of it. Driving nails into his wrists, into his feet. Jesus says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. The greatest atrocity, the murder of God is taking place. And Jesus speaks those words, Father, forgive them. If we have been forgiven much, Should we not forgive our brothers and sisters? With that, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you. Father, I know that it's not easy to forgive, especially when when we've been sinned greatly against. We carry around many pains, and hurt from others. But the call is to forgive. And Father, I know it's costly. But I know what's on the other side of forgiveness. On the other side of forgiveness, there is is hope, there is freedom, there is eternal life. So, Lord, may we be able to, number one, take sin seriously in our own lives and help our brothers and sisters gently, but also in a serious way to deal with sin. And also, Lord, may we take forgiveness just as seriously. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this week's sermon. Make sure you come back next week to hear the next message in our series.